Well, in this story in Acts 19, we see the very real power of the kingdom of Satan. But we also see the much greater power, the infinitely greater power of the kingdom of God. And the ultimate message that I believe this this story drives us to is the message to believers. The believers need to, should to, must renounce everything connected with the kingdom of Satan in their lives. God will someday completely abolish Satan, but Satan has power now over what the Bible calls this present darkness. As Luther said, his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Alyssa just read that passage from Revelation. It talks about Satan is, is, has been thrown down to the earth and his, his anger and wrath against believers is, is stirred up. He's the accuser. He's the attacker of believers, of the brothers. Well, this unseen but, but very real clash of kingdoms, this clash of spiritual powers, is the most basic reality of human life. It is what explains life. It is what explains your life. It is the only way to understand much of what happens in your life. If we see life as only natural and material, we will completely miss the real story of what is going on. Life is a battle. It's a warfare between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And if we don't see that, we, we live in a, in, a, in a kind of blindness. To become a Christian is to come out of Satan's kingdom and to come into God's kingdom. It is to come out from under Satan's power and to come under God's power. It is to come out from under Satan's rule and to come under the rule of God. In Acts 26, 18, Paul told King Agrippa that Jesus had sent him to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Colossians 1, 13, Paul said, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Other translations say he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness or the power of darkness. But Paul is talking about being rescued from the kingdom of Satan himself and being delivered to or brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, God's own beloved son. Conversion to Christ, getting saved, if you will, however you want to put it, is not merely praying a prayer. It is not turning over a new leaf. It is not trying to reform yourself. It is not inviting God to be a part of your life. Salvation is God rescuing you from the devil himself. Salvation is God rescuing you from the devil who would drag you into hell with him. Salvation is bringing you into the kingdom of his own beloved son, his own beloved son who is infinitely good and loving and will show his kindness to you forever. And that is why Paul taught about the kingdom of God. I mean, there's, there's many ways to talk about coming to Christ 
and, it, and being born again and so forth. But one of those is to talk about the kingdom of God. And that's why Paul taught people about the kingdom of God and persuaded people to enter the kingdom of God because that's what salvation is. It's entering a new kingdom. It's coming out of a dark kingdom. It's coming into a very good and light kingdom of Jesus Christ. So verse 8 says, Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul called people to come out from the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of of God. And the Bible is very clear that all people outside of Christ, and we ourselves too, before we were in Christ, lived under the power of darkness. Satan holds remarkable influence and power over people in this present world. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 5 19, we know, he's talking about believers, those of us who believe, we know that we are from God and the whole world or but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So you see clearly this, this contrast of, of kingdoms that's all throughout Scripture. Now we have all seen people whom Satan has destroyed. I mean, the, Jesus said that the enemy, the thief, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the kind of work that Satan does and ultimately is to pull people down, clear down into hell with him. And we've all seen people that Satan has pulled down into drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, Satan has stolen their lives, their livelihood, their families, their minds, and their health for some of them. Uh, we've seen people seduced by Satan into all kinds of sexual sins and addictions that have wrecked their marriages and their homes. Uh, we have heard, I'm sure every one of us have heard or maybe even known people who have gotten in some way into Satanism or into the occult or witchcraft. And Satan has, has turned them into dark and hopeless people, leading many of them to commit suicide or to live terrorized by demons. Those are very real things that are going on in people's lives and homes today. Don't kid yourself. It is happening. And yet it would be completely wrong to think that everyone who is in the kingdom of Satan is outwardly messed up. That just isn't true. Many people in this dominion of darkness are outwardly very normal. Many are successful. Many appear to be happy. Many of them even do lots of good things. Yet the Bible says there is a power over their lives that keeps them from seeing Jesus Christ and keeps them instead on a path that ultimately will lead to destruction and hell. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Well, the message, part of the message, at least for us as believers, if we don't know what darkness and hell and satanic influences we have been pulled out of, we will continue to dabble in things from the kingdom of Satan from which we have been rescued. So we need to see life, we need to see salvation in these very stark terms. We need to see the evil and the darkness and the danger 
And the, 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 the ultimate place that Satan would wish to take us, and we need to see the contrast of that between, between that and where God has brought us. And we need to refuse to, 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 to dabble in those things from that kingdom of darkness from which we've been rescued. Well, that was exactly what was going on among many of the believers who came to the Lord at Ephesus. Uh, they still had areas of life and things in their homes that left a door open for Satan and evil spirits to keep a hold on them. But once they saw they were do what they were doing, they took drastic action to sever all ties with the devil. And that's what we need to do too. We need to make a total break with the powers of darkness. Jesus came to set you free, not only from sin and hell, but also to set you free from Satan and evil spirits, Satan and his demons. So that's, that's where we're going. Now, there's an especially dangerous way that people can open the door to the devil, and that is through what we call the occult. Uh, the occult means anything that has to do with the world of spirits other than the Holy Spirit. The occult is anything that has to do with the supernatural that is not according to the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the real workings and manifest supernatural manifestations of the Spirit of God. The occult is attempting in any way to, to contact with to make contact with supernatural forces other than God. And this was going on at Ephesus a lot. The occult would include any seeking after psychic powers or pursuing information about your future apart from God. It includes putting trust in statues or charms or special items to bless you and protect you and bring you success. It includes horoscopes, astrology, tarot cards, fortune-telling, any attempts to communicate with those who are dead or in any way to hear from the spirit world. All those things are ways of opening the door to the world of evil spirits. And again, I, I say that was, those were things that were going on a lot at Ephesus. Now, of course, not all supernatural things are from the devil. The whole book of Acts repeatedly records healings, prophecies, dreams, visions, speaking in tongues, and many other things as part of the marvelous works of God. But yet, Christians should not accept supernatural manifestations and practices without discernment. And Christians can be, like these believers at Ephesus, at least for a short time, Christians can be involved in the occult and not realize it, and not realize the darkness that they are touching. I hesitate to share this story about myself, but because of what you might think of me in my past. But when I was uh, about 12 years old, and probably in the range between, maybe between when I was 10 and 13, I used to play a game with my brother and sister called Table Up. And this was a game that, I don't know how it got into our family, but somewhere in the family it came in. It was just kind of a game that we did when we got together. Supposedly, it was just kind of a psychic game that was supposed to be, you know, fun. But we would sit around a table, and I kid you not, it's, there, there's no gimmick to it. This absolutely, absolutely real. We'd sit around a, a, a table, put our hands on top of the table just like this, and we'd start chanting, table up, table up, table up. Pretty soon the table would rise off the floor. 
about four to, four to six inches. I'm, I am not kidding. I'm not lying to you. And then we would ask it a question like, how many, pe- how many letters are in the mailbox today? Or how many you know, notes are in a certain song? Or just crazy things like that because we, j- we just thought it was a game. And we, then we'd say, tap, table, tap. And the table would tap and answer the question. And we did that for a long time until my dad saw us doing it one time and he asked the table, is this from the devil or from God? Tap once if it's from God, twice from the devil. The table went down twice and we never played that game again. And that was in a Christian home. We didn't realize that we were messing around with the occult. Uh, I used to play a Ouija board with, with a, a cousin of mine. And uh, she, she and I were, were, were good at it. And we kind of got messages. And I, I didn't realize how foolish and how dangerous, how, what a tie to the devil this stuff was until later. And, of course, when I realized that, I com- you know, completely renounced that and often... Whenever I've thought of just being involved with that, I've, I've again repeatedly, so I absolutely renounce and repudiate that practice in, in my past. But, but the, the demonic is real. The, there's real powers at work in the spiritual world. But as important, impo- as important as warning against the occult is, it would be a huge mistake to think that Satan can only gain a foothold in your life through witchcraft or sorcery or the occult or playing with the Ouija board or things like that. Paul said that holding on to anger is giving the devil a foothold. Holding on to anger or bitterness or unforgiveness towards someone or a group of people is literally giving Satan a, an opening into your life. It's giving Satan a part of your life. It's, if you know this prophetic reference, you'll get this. It's like, it's like opening the temple of the Holy Spirit to the abomination that desecrates the holy place. I mean, we are a temple of God. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we open the door to the devil to give him a foothold through anger and forgiveness or unforgiveness and bitterness, it is, it's like letting the, the evil one, the abomination, desecrate this holy temple that God has made us through Jesus Christ. And once he has been allowed a, a little part of your life, he, he turns it into a stronghold. And if that stronghold is not torn down, that anger and unforgiving spirit will cont- contaminate. Or fact, it will reach into your, to your whole life and you'll, you'll, you'll miss out on the joy of the Lord. you that you'll miss out on so much that God wants to do in your life because, because of, of opening a door to the devil. We are not playing around. We are not playing around when we, when we are choosing anger or forgiveness, hatred or love, purity or sexual impurity, complaining or giving thanks, self-pity, or contentment, harshness, or kindness and graciousness, peace over divisiveness. We are, in all of those choices, we are choosing God or Satan. We're either giving the devil a foothold or we are giving full place to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit of God. Now, in our story in Acts 19, it begins with God at work through Paul in overcoming the power 
of Satan in people's lives. It says that God did extra, extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Unfortunately, I think probably the first thing that comes to many people's minds from this story is the way prayer clause have been used by some television evangelists to raise money in an abusive way. They, and I, I just appeal to you, do not let that abuse keep you from seeing the power of God working through pieces of clothing that Paul touched to cure illnesses and make evil spirits come out of those oppressed by the devil. I mean, this is, this is a great thing. This is a, this is a thing to praise God for and to see the works of God in. God was pleased. God himself was pleased to use this method to bring healing and deliverance from demons. He did it then. He can do it now. He can do extraordinary things whenever he wants using extraordinary methods and means to bring healing and deliverance to people. Now, it's possible uh, that there were two categories of people, those who were sick, who who were healed through this means, and those who had evil spirits. It's also possible that for some, an evil spirit was causing their illness. And I, different commentators kind of look at this uh, different ways. But it's possible that it was, he's just talking about people who had evil spirits who were sick, and when they were touched, or when they touched these pieces of clothing that Paul had touched, they, they got well, and the evil spirits left them. Uh, Luke chapter 11 tells us about a woman that Jesus healed who had been disabled by a spirit. For 18 years. So that's, that, that is, that's a part of seeing things biblically. That's a part of a biblical worldview to know and to realize that that can and does happen. But either way, there, there were some, perhaps many at Ephesus who had evil spirits. Evil spirits had, had entered into these people or had attached themselves to these people in some way and, and, and very likely uh, tormented or harassed them. But God was at work through Paul using the name of Jesus to make these evil spirits leave people. And Paul, of course, was doing this in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's a very important reality. And the word got around that these powerful things were happening in the name of Jesus. And so a, a group of seven men who practiced exorcism, they saw this power at work in the name of Jesus. And they thought, we would like to be able to do this same thing. And so it says they attempted to cast an evil spirit out of another man using the name of Jesus. But the evil spirit said to them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered all seven of them and gave these guys such a beating that they ran out of the house naked 
and bleeding, or some translations say naked and wounded. Clearly, this man had supernatural strength enabling him to beat up these seven sons of Siva that was given to this man by the evil spirit. Now, it's interesting, they used the name of Jesus, or they tried to use the name of Jesus. But since they, they themselves were not connected to Jesus by their own personal faith and trust and committal of their lives to him, that name did not protect them. I mean, God will not let the name of his son be used like a lucky charm or as part of a magic spell. And so these, these men, were, they were beaten mercilessly by this demon-possessed man. I, I think those, those seven men already believed in the power of Satan. They were, they were, they were practicing exorcism. I think they, they knew and had seen the reality of Satan and the, and the power of Satan. But I think in this story, they personally experienced the power of Satan and they had the wounds to prove it. Now, the the very next verse is very important. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So so this story, I don't know, how many of you think this is a remarkable story? Or interesting, at least, okay? Okay. Well, they did too. Back in Ephesus, I mean, if they, I don't know if they had a newspaper in Ephesus or anything, but I mean, this would be like front page headlines. Wow, this is a big deal of what this of, of, of this what had happened to these seven men. So the story it spread throughout Ephesus to the surrounding region to the Jews and Greeks. It was big news. It says they were all seized with fear. Like it was like everybody, everybody heard about this. So. Think about this. Luke said this demonic outburst by this evil spirit, this demonic outburst caused or led to the name of Jesus being held in high honor, in highest honor. God used this demonic outburst to honor the name of Jesus. I love that. I think that's very cool. God is always able to turn the work of the devil back on himself. And whenever we, whenever we see or know or feel a sense to see the powers of darkness working against us, we can count on that. We can be sure that if we put our trust in the Lord, he will turn that attack back on the devil himself and he will get the honor and glory in our lives. Well, what is it in this story... And maybe you, maybe you didn't wonder this, but when I read this story and I follow the logic of it, it, it just forced me to ask this question. What is it in this story that caused the name of Jesus to be held in high honor? I mean, I mean Luke very clearly says, when this story became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of Jesus was held in high honor. Uh, three reasons. One... This story, as it circulated through the newspaper and whatever (laughs) that day, I'm just kidding. But as this story, as it circulated, it brought even greater publicity to Paul's ministry 
of casting out evil spirits in the name of Jesus and therefore got, brought greater publicity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul was doing in the name of Jesus is what makes this story make sense. In other words, if, 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 we, if, if we don't know about Paul, uh, Paul's work and miracles in the name of Jesus, then this, this story doesn't have any logic because... Uh, it, was, it was the fact that evil spirits did come out of people in Paul's work that caused these seven men to try to use the name of Jesus in their work. And so people all over were saying, did you hear about how Paul was casting demons out of people in the name of Jesus? Did you hear about how, the, how this man, this guy named Paul, using the name of Jesus has authority even over demons And did you hear then how these seven other guys tried to do it? They tried to do the same thing and they nearly got killed. And so in that way, the name of Jesus was honored. I hope I I made that clear. (laughs) And number two, the story showed showed that demons were real and that they had supernatural or superhuman power. Therefore, since Jesus has authority over them, he has greater power and his name is greater. Therefore, he has greater honor and his name should be held in highest honor. There is something about about knowing the reality of, of the demonic world. There's something about knowing the reality of the powers of darkness, about knowing that demons are real and that they have super, supernatural power that the that opens our eyes, in a sense, to, to know the greater power of Jesus because Jesus has complete and absolute authority over the devil and over his works. Number three, the evil spirit inadvertently honored the authority of Jesus by admitting he knew Jesus and Paul as the ones who had authority. When it says that he, the, the evil spirit says, "I know Jesus," he, the, the word here is more. It's like it's not like he just knew Jesus' name or kind of had heard about him. It's like, it's like the, the holy. The word is more like acknowledge. I acknowledge Jesus. He was saying, "I know about Jesus as one who has authority." He didn't. So he didn't just know their names. He knew their authority. But he refused to obey these seven men because he did not know them. He says, who are you? Who are you guys? I don't know you as anybody with having any authority over me. And so so because he says, I don't recognize you guys as having any authority over me, he supernaturally energized this man in whom he dwelt and this man jumped on them, overpowered them, beat them up, and they left the house, it says, naked and bloody and wounded. So without intending to, this demon recognized the unique authority of Jesus to make him leave in contrast to these seven exorcists who did not have that authority. So, uh, again, Luke says this story had a huge impact on all the people 
in Ephesus and the surrounding area, all the Jews and all the Greeks. I mean, it went, it went in all corners of their culture and society, this story. And it gave honor. It caused people to fear. It caused people to honor the name of Jesus. But the biggest impact seems to be, or certainly may have been, the impact that this story had on Christians in Ephesus, on believers in the city of Ephesus. So Luke goes on to tell about what can only be described as a massive public repentance among the Christians at Ephesus because of this story. Verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Or let's just just let that sink in. Many of those who believed, these are, we're talking about those who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about Christians. Many of those who believed now came on the basis of this story and the impact it had. They came and they openly confessed what they had done. A number who had or a great many of them who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls or their books together and they burned them publicly. You got, they brought all their books on sorcery and rich, witch, witchcraft and uh, things that they regarded that gave, gave them special protection or charms or whatever. They put them on a huge pile and they set fire to them. And it says when they, they burned them in public. And it says when they calculated, calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I have heard all kinds of guesses as to what 50,000 pieces of silver is worth today, but a lot of the estimates are upwards of a million dollars into several million dollars. And they did this. They did this because this story of the evil spirit overpowering the seven sons of Siva opened their eyes to the reality and the power of evil spirits. And they realized, I, I, think, I think they got scared. I mean, I think a holy fear came upon them because they realized how dangerous their association with the spirit world was through these books and scrolls. And so they, they took drastic Action. They stopped, they stopped dabbling in darkness. They made a clean break with evil. Uh, David Guzik said, apparently, you know, I'm not, does anybody know how you pronounce the sons of Siva? I say Siva. I don't know if it's Skiva or Siva. Josh, do you know? Uh, Siva? All right. Well, I appreciate that affirmation. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> I was going to look that up, how you're supposed to pronounce that, but I forgot to. Anyway, David Guzik said, Apparently, before the Sons of Siva incident, many believers did not know that they were involved in the demonic. They saw their actions in a far more innocent light until they knew the reality of this demonic activity. But once once they saw this dark connection with the devil in their lives, they burned their books. They burned the things in their home that it had anything to do with supernatural powers other 
than Jesus. They burned their books on the occult. They probably had books or scrolls that offered them special formulas for protection from harm or had formulas, formulas that would bless them or bring prosperity or success to them. But it was demonic, and they saw that. They, these scrolls or books had become points of contact, or they were points of contact with the devil. And when they saw that, they started a huge bonfire, and they threw all this stuff into that. You know, a similar action today would be to get rid of certain books or movies or CDs, or games, or lucky charms, or computer files that have been a point of spiritual contamination in your life. You know, Cindy and I knew a lady who, uh, back at Des Moines Fellowship Church, who was marvelously saved. Uh, In a strange way, she heard that her attorney had accepted Jesus. So she went down and visited, paid a visit to her attorney. He shared with her what had happened to him. She said, in my heart, I immediately knew it was true. And at that moment, she, she got down on her knees and, and prayed to receive Christ and just was marvelously saved. And she said that she immediately went home that same day and she lived in an apartment complex and she opened the windows in her apartment complex and started throwing out her records. This is a long time ago when people had records. Started throwing out her records into the parking lot that apartment house just taking drastic action to try to get rid of stuff that she knew had an evil influence on her life. Nobody told her to do that. She just, like these people at Ephesus, she just, she knew there was stuff that was dark in her house and in her life and she wanted to get rid of it. Verse 18, again, uh, coming back to the value of this, which is is interesting just because Luke makes such a point of it. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Again, a lot, a lot of money. The amount of money reveals two things. I think, first of all, it reveals how massive the, the, the problem of occult practices were in the people who got saved at Ephesus. I mean, for there to be... Uh, Say you know one to I've heard estimates go up to eight million dollars of this what this the value of this fifty thousand pieces of silver was. I mean, it's a massive amount of material, which indicates that there was a massive problem in these people's lives and in their homes with with the occult. It's not just a few books. It would take a lot of scrolls to be valued at fifty thousand pieces of silver. Secondly, the amount of money shows shows how total their repudiation of the occult was once they became aware of the darkness of these things. I mean, they, their, their attitude was, let's burn it all. <laughs> let's get everything out of our homes that has any connection with the devil. Let's go burn it all. And there is, the, the point is that there was, just, there was so much stuff, so much stuff that was tied to the devil in their lives that it amounted to this vast, vast sum of money. Their repentance was was enthusiastic. Now, I mean, there's there, there's a, there's a time to repent with tears, and that's that, that's an important part of of, of of repentance. But 
their, their, their repentance obviously was, was enthusiastic. It was with zeal. It was with great zeal. It was, it was a wholehearted repentance that caused them to bring all this stuff and start this huge bonfire. There is no such thing as half-hearted repentance. Genuine repentance and anything that is half-hearted about it just are totally incongruous. There's no way to deal with sin other than to deal with it drastically. There's no way to deal with the works of the devil than to deal with them drastically. And Jesus, you know, Jesus himself said, you know, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. He was communicating that the only way that we can really deal with sin in our lives is to deal with it totally and drastically and immediately. You know, I love Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she had a saying that Cindy and I have often quoted to, her, to ourselves over the years. And she said, she, she said that many, many people would come up to her and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this area in my life. I'm really struggling with this sin. And she, you know what she would tell them? Struggling with sin is, no, is just delayed obedience. You just need to deal with it now and your struggle will be over. If we're ever going to be people that get past our past, if we're ever going to be people who get freed from our past, we are going to have to be people who burn our books, who cut our ties with the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we're ever going to be be people who walk substantially or even most of the time filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're ever going to be people... We sang a lot of songs about joy this morning. If we're ever going to be people who learn to walk in overflowing joy, we must be people who burn our books who cut our ties with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I love, I love history, and I, one of my favorite books I've ever read is The, the Conquest of Mexico. Uh, uh, it tells the story of Hernan Cortez and his army of Spanish conquistadors. But when they sailed across the ocean and they landed on the coast of Mex- Mexico at Veracruz, they, they, they faced a powerful force of Warriors who practice gruesome, a gruesome form of human sacrifice where they, where they cut the beating heart out of their victims while they were still alive. Cortez was concerned that his conquistadors would lose heart as they marched deeper into Mexico. So after everyone was off the ships, what did he do? He gave orders, burn the ships. And they, they set them on fire and they sank right there in the harbor of Veracruz so that no one had a path. No one had a way to go back to the old world. And that's exactly what we must do. We must remove any available ways back to the kingdom of darkness. We, we, we burn the ships And it's not only the way we deal with the occult, it's the way we deal with sin and everything that is opposed to the work of God in our lives. We we burn the ships, we burn the bridges, we, we set fire to things that connected us 
with the old, with the sinful, with the darkness of our past, and with the devil. There's a pastor that I've quoted a few times before named Jack Arnold um, that has, has a site called Clear Theology, which I kind of like the, the, name, the name of that site, Clear Theology. But he made this very bold statement from this passage. He said, are you progressing in your spiritual life? And I'm going to add a statement. Is there real joy and power in your spiritual life? If not, do you know why not? It's because you have not started a fire. Burn those things that are wrong in your life. Burn those secret sins. Stop compromising with your sins and rationalizing away your evil practices. Light a match to open sin and secret rebellion. Stop excusing and pampering your sin, and then you shall experience the power of Christ. And I say, let's do that right now. Let's do that right here, right now, this morning. Let's repudiate everything that's going on in your heart, that has been going on in your heart and mind that is not of God. You know, put it off, the Bible says. Like you would rip off a filthy shirt. Rip off. Get put off the old clothes and put on the new. Re- repudiate all the stuff that's that's dark in your mind and in your heart. Repudiate fears and anxieties. Repudiate bitterness and ungrateful thoughts. Repudiate those offenses that you're holding on to. Repudiate thoughts of self-pity and grumbling and complaint against your spouse or fellow believer. Put off clamor. The Bible says, this is right from the Bible, put off clamor, noisy fighting, anger, rage, bitterness toward anyone, lest you give the devil a foothold, a grip on your life. Put off ungodly and impure sexual thoughts and desires. Paul says those things should not even be named among you. They're to be seen as so dark. It shouldn't even be mentioned among believers. Put off the devil and all that comes from him. And then, and then open your heart to drink fully of the things of the Spirit. Open your heart to drink in, to be filled with righteousness, goodness, faith, hope, love, joy, peace, forgiveness. You know, Paul said the kingdom of God, we talked about being transferred out of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God. If you, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, Paul gave a beautiful, brief uh, definition of it, which I go back to again and again and again. Paul said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. That's where we are to live. We're to live in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of darkness with all this stuff that we've just talked about. We're to, we, we live in the Holy Spirit in righteousness, peace, and joy. Well, I think there's, there's another reason that they burned the books in Ephesus. And I'm going to admit this is speculation. Um, I think it's very likely, uh, but I, I, I can't absolutely vouch for this, but I think, I think they burned their books, the believers in Ephesus burned their books because they had found a new love in their life. 
When they were saved, they became lovers of Jesus Christ. They became passionately in love with Jesus. He was their first love. He was first in their hearts. When Jesus wrote back to the church at Ephesus many, many years later, he reminded them of what? The love that they had for him at first. And he used the love that they had for him at first, their first love for Jesus. He used that to, to, to call them back to him then decades later when the book of Revelation was, was written. So when they saw, when these believers saw that they had things in their lives and in their homes that opposed Jesus, it cut them to the heart because they loved Jesus and they they didn't, didn't want to offend him or oppose him by keeping these ties to darkness in their life. They burned these thousands, perhaps millions of dollars worth of stuff out of love for Jesus. They did it because they loved Jesus and didn't want to be associated anymore with stuff that Jesus was not pleased with. And I believe Jesus himself watched this great bonfire. I believe Jesus himself saw this great public burning He saw this great repudiation of the works of the devil and he saw it as an act of love for him. And again, I believe that he had, perhaps Jesus even had this event in mind when he said years later to the church, you have forsaken the love that you had for me at first. This was their first love. If we love Jesus and then we realize that friendship with, with Satan is to be an enemy of our Savior, we will repudiate the deeds of darkness in our lives. And we will do it because of our first love. We'll do it because of our love for Jesus. Well, Luke concludes by saying, In this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In this way. Again, just this whole story that he's just told us. The word of the Lord, in other words, the message about Jesus was, was, was not hindered by this extreme repudiation of evil, but it actually caused it to spread mightily. Some people, and, and I, 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 I hate to say it, but even many pastors think that we have to see everything our culture watches, read everything our culture reads, participate in everything our culture does in order to reach people in our culture. And nothing could be further from the truth. We'll be way more effective when we repudiate all the stuff that is of the devil and walk in pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. That will give us, that will make the word of the Lord spread mightily. Luke said this massive repudiation of evil in the culture at Ephesus caused the word of the Lord to increase 
and prevail mightily. God's power to work through us is released when we stop giving the devil a foothold. And that is what makes the gospel effective and gives it power through our lives and through us as a church. That's what's going to make us more powerful as a church when, when we burn the, burn the book, so to speak, and devote ourselves completely in a pure and simple devotion to Jesus.